Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy of Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. In this episode, we talk about DAOs, and Rabbit Hole has an intro to DAOs skill that guides you through all of the basic tools you need to know in order to be a DAO contributor. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Steph, who is one of my favorite people in the space, also the steward of the media team at Seed Club. I cannot wait to dive into decentralized media and all of the things. So Steph, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chase. I have a big smile on my face right now. You can't see it, but maybe you can hear it. (laughs) Um, Well, before we dive into all things media, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole? Yeah. So I onboarded to Web3 last fall. And previously, I was running my own boutique branding studio focused primarily on social impact brands. So that's like nonprofits, think tanks, grassroots orgs. And most of my professional career has been at the intersection of building brands, design and storytelling. And then I also have had a sort of parallel life as a community organizer and activist for social justice and racial justice. And yeah, my partner had been peppering me with this idea of Web3 for like about a year. And most of the time I would just wave him off. Like, I like don't have time for this. This sounds like one of your like weird obsessions. And finally, Jack Dorsey left Twitter last fall and there had been uproar cry for him to leave Twitter for quite some time. And I paid attention this time because I was like, oh, the thing that got you to leave Twitter is crypto, is Web3. Um, and so I, I just started paying attention in a new way and listened to the original NFT episode by 16Z. And they mentioned this word DAO and talked about DAOs at the intersection of community tokens and how that sort of unlocks a new form of community building and ownership. And it was instantly legible to me, like as someone who comes from the community organizing space, and I was reflecting on the ways in which I had, you know, participated in what may have been a DAO, like pre-Web3 technology, but because we didn't have the technological innovation, it wasn't just wasn't possible. And I also was coming from a lot of the sort of like traumas of community organizing where ownership and power were very fraught. Um, and so I'm, I was just really excited by the way that community tokens and crypto and Web3 might disrupt those old patterns and create opportunities for new kinds of community building. I absolutely love that. And I love that moment when people who come into the space are like, wait a minute, is that thing that I've done for a lot of my career, was that a doubt this whole time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like a magic moment. Very magical. And it's very validating, I think, for the doubt movement as well. Um, And then I'm curious from the perspective of how you got into the role around media and starting to think about media at Seed Club, like where did that spring up? So 
My approach to branding has always been at this intersection of storytelling and community building. Whenever I've worked on a brand project, either within my studio or I've also done a little stint in corporate too, the set of things I look at on the board are basically like, what is a story that we're trying to tell with this brand? And who are we trying to tell that story to? And who can these people be once they come here? You know, like I think about the brand as sort of a physical place where people can come, even if it's not a physical place, even if it's like an electric toothbrush that you're buying, there's still some sense of like identity that you're trying to tap into. That all comes down to what is a story? How are you telling this story? And how are you how are you creating experiences, both actual product experiences, but then digital experiences and community building experiences? How are you creating experiences that then create the conditions for people to come and be the people that we've told them they can be in this space? And so that all really comes down to media, that comes down to written media, comes down to like audio media, visual media, video media. And and so even though my career hasn't spent building brands, which actually in practice, it's very mechanical. It's like what you're doing is you're setting up like a design system and you're setting up visual assets, you're setting up a linguistic expression, you're setting up a editorial style guide. But the thing that always felt really interesting to me is the way in which you can use media just across all of those touch points to build a fully aligned brand experience for people to come and again, be the people that we've told them they can be when they join this brand. And then how that relates to C-Club. I, I think a lot of people can relate to this experience of, you know, when you first onboard to Web3, especially when you're you know interested in the DAO space is you do a lot of like DAO surfing at first. You're mm -hmm. just like popping into all the discords and you're like clicking into all the channels and you're like saying GM and introducing yourself. And, and I managed to find myself in collaboration with um, John Silkey, who previously was running Ops at C-Club. And in our bumping into each other on the internet, he started recruiting me to join the C-Club team. And one of the opportunities that emerged is an opportunity to create content at C-Club, right? It was like a very simple contribution level because this was at the time when this idea of permissionless contribution was like really alive in all the DAOs. I think we've moved a bit from there, but yes. Yeah, so, so basically John was like, why don't you, why don't you come in? You, you have a need for content. You can start managing the Twitter because I had that social media management experience from web two. And, and yeah, once I was in there, I was like, oh my gosh, there's all of these rich experiences happening at Seed Club. And there's all of this learning and all this brilliance and we're not surfacing any of it currently. And six months later, here I am leaving the media team and thinking about all the ways that we can surface that brilliance across all the different media verticals. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And you wrote this piece that was called Decentralized Media in Web3 is Not What You Think It Is, which I thought was just really fascinating. And your perspective, I think, from coming from the background that you've come from and then also the things that you've been doing with Seed Club is just like incredibly fun to unpack. So I want to talk about it. And I've been thinking a lot about this more broadly. So I, especially as we have like more Web3 social networks that look a little bit skeuomorphic still coming up, it feels like media is like a really interesting piece of this. So you start off this piece by talking about how decentralized media is not decentralized content creation. And I think this is like a really interesting point to make because oftentimes I think we tend to just like optimize for decentralized everything and mm. kind of just equate them all together. So can you unpack that a little bit? Totally. Yeah, I think the Web3 urge to decentralize everything <laughs> is so alive. And yeah, and I think in some cases it can work really well. And I think in most cases it doesn't work super well. And in, in my opinion, a, a truly, a truly dynamic and aligned 
media strategy is one that actually, for the most part, does not it does not lend itself well to like immediate decentralized content creation. So yeah, I talk about this in the piece, but I like to think about media as this pyramid where you've got content creation at the top, you've got content curation in the middle, and then you've got content distribution at the bottom. And the idea is that when you're standing up a brand, when you're standing up an experience, when you're standing up a DAO, you, know, you can use whatever word you want there, standing up a community. The thing that will, especially if your community has a really strong like cult adventure or a strong value proposition or a set, of, a set of principles that you're trying to build within, that you need to have those guardrails pretty firmly set, especially at the beginning. Um, because in the way that when you stand up a brand, like you want to make sure that everything is just aligned and crisp across the entire visual expression and linguistic expression of the brand, especially if you're new, right? You want people to know who they're interacting with, why they're interacting with them and what's exciting about this brand. So same thing with, with media, you want to have those guardrails in place like very early on. And so one of the downstream effects of that is that you'll have only a small subset of people actually creating the content, because that means that the content that is being produced has high alignment with the DAO, with the brand, with the community. And you're also, yeah, it just ensures that you have like a high quality, high, a high bar for execution. And I think that, again, people tend to go right to the decentralized content creation piece because it seems so obvious, right? Like the thing you want to do is you want to empower people to come and build and create things. And it's true. That is hundred percent what we want to do. And the other beautiful thing about the space, it's like, oh, there's so many places to go do that. And we want to communicate that this little slice, this little corner right here, this DAO, this community, this is the kind of thing you can come and do here. This is like the kind of thing that you can, you can thrive within here. And the other thing too, is like web two is actually was the ultimate decentralized content creation innovation, right? What social media, the sort of uh, your upspring of Instagram and Facebook, what that did was it, it enabled people to engage in decentralized publishing and decentralized content creation. Now you had this this sense that like you as Chase, me as Steph, like we could be brands ourselves. We could create the content. We could we could make videos. We could write. We could write copy. We could post images. And so we've actually already done the decentralized content creation. And so it, it makes sense that's the place that we would go right away. But coming back to this triangle, if you then move down the stack, I'm going to jump down to the bottom of the stack to distribution. That's the place where I see the ability to open up decentralized participation at the community level. Because ultimately, what you want to do is you want to broadcast your narrative, you want to broadcast your POV. And so while it's really critical that early on, you have people who are establishing that POV, making it really visible, um, you can you can move down your stack and allow your community to participate in broadcasting and proliferating that POV. And that could look like something um, like, you know, Boys Club, they do a really great job of this. Anytime a podcast episode drops, like my feed is littered with Boys Club community members being like, the you know, latest episode of Boys Club pod just published, it's fantastic and all the things. So that's an example of like community participating in decentralized distribution. And then if you go into that center stack there, into the curation, that's where you have this sort of like fusing of your guardrails that might exist up at the top where you have a small amount of people actually creating content and setting that POV. And then you have the sort of like fusing up from the community participating in something which we'll call content curation at this point. So Forefront is a great example that they do a good job of this where there's like a channel in the Discord you can go Anyone who's in the Discord with member can drop links that inspire them. But there's still people 
who are, and I, I'm pretty sure, I think it's just Carlos at this point, but there's still someone there who's like curating which links then get sent out as part of their, their newsletter called the Forefront Signal. And so there's still, there's like great community participation in, in supporting and proliferating that POV, but there is still a level of high touch curation from the top end where they're ensuring that any link that's shared actually does reflect and does actually proliferate the POV that the forefront's trying to trying to put out into the world. Yeah, that's how I would that's how I would engage that triangle of decentralized media. Yeah, it feels like one of the big things that you're pointing out is that when we often talk about decentralized media, we think about things like decentralized content creation. But the reality is like there are several layers which are like the three pieces, I think, that you just went through, which just for visual people to really keep it in your mind, it's like a pyramid. Creation is at the top. Curation is in the middle. And distribution is in like the bottom layer. And so I think it's really interesting to frame each of those ways of thinking about how we engage with media in like this almost scale of decentralization where each individual layer is going to have its own level of how decentralized something is, what the purpose of it is, and all of those pieces. Is that like a fair way to summarize that piece? Yeah, I think about it as a like, you hear like this idea of like slow rolling out governance. And I think about that with media and Web3, especially at the DAO level, where the, the goal, the aspiration is that there would be this progressive decentralization that at some point, that triangle might turn into a circle or might, I don't know what the shape evolution here is, but essentially you would have more people over time as your brand, as your meme, as your POV is is more secure and is more established. That you would have more people participating further up that stack, further into the curation, further into the content creation. And that's where you might get things like, you know, derivatives, the like community derivatives spinning out. But yeah, that that's the idea is that there is this idea of like the sense of progressive decentralization that would move up the stack over time. Yeah. The other thing that I really think is like fascinating around this mental model and media more broadly, which you call out towards the end of this piece, is that when we actually think about the purpose of media, there's this strange dynamic that exists whereby media has this like massive influence on the way that we frame things in our minds. So you call out media in like the sort of IRL space as like the fourth estate, which maybe that's worth unpacking for a minute, actually. Do you want to explain that? <laughs> yeah, totally. So the, yeah, media is the fourth estate. It's, it's the idea that within, we can look at it within the American context that you have your three branches. So you have your executive branch, you have your legislative branch, the executive branch is the president, your legislative branch is your Senate and your house. And then you have your judicial branch, which is all of the um, you know judiciary and your um, Supreme Court and et cetera, and lower courts. And then there's actually this like this fourth branch, this fourth estate, which is media. And this is like a very old concept in journalism and in media, but what it does is it honors the role that media, that journalism plays within governance. It's a really critical role. And I see in Web3, we have this huge opportunity, especially at the DAO level, to utilize media as a way to support the decision-making ability of your DAO, whether that's within your contributor base, whether that's in with your wider community. But in general, it's a totally viable strategy to support decision-making across the DAO. Yeah. And I think there's something really interesting to unpack a little bit here as well, which is like, 
The reason that it can support decision-making is because media has such a big influence on how we think about our own decision matrix, how we frame our sort of decision matrix as an organization. And it feels like there are like two paths that my brain goes down when I hear that. One is like, yes, if we can leverage media to help DAOs make better decisions, help individual contributors make better decisions for the organization, like that's optimal. The other part of me is like, oh, damn, things could go so awry. And when I think about that, I think about the last decade of how platforms like Facebook have been used to target individuals, put certain types of media in front of them that actually has this like very malicious intent. And I almost like wonder if in Web3, the way that we use media is actually going to be even more powerful. And what I'm thinking when I say that is like, when you think about the way that media has been used and like the sort of history of propaganda and the way that media influences individuals and their decisions, if Web3 is truly to be like the democratic internet and is intended to give people more decision-making power, my concern around media is that there's almost like a larger opportunity to influence people in a way that feels like they're making intentional democratic decisions. But in reality, they're like so influenced by the media that they're consuming that it's actually like much less of like a free will type thing. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think we could go way down a rabbit hole and explore the just like utter existential thread that is free will and people's decision making. So I'll try my best to not bring us down there. But yeah, what you're observing and, and what you're raising as a concern is it's critical. It's really valid. We saw that with the 2016 election. We saw the way in which decentralized both content creation and publishing at the intersection of media and social networks at the intersection of technology, how that created this like utter soup that then outputted the last eight plus years. And, you know, my, my sort of hot take on this is, yes, this is utterly extreme. And it's really, it's like on the grand spectrum of, of humans coming together and like creating meaning and governing and living, that this is just an iteration of things that we've seen in memoriam past. So my take on this is that, yes, there is a version where us leaning into this idea that we can use media as a strategy within the DAO to support the body being governed to make the best decision that they can, basically to give them as much context. There's a version of the argument that says, okay, at what point are you just like engaging in, in marketing and propaganda within your DAO? And, and 100%. Okay, but then if we zoom out and think about the role that storytelling has played in our media, again, like throughout history, I think we're doing ourselves a, a disservice by not acknowledging the way that storytelling will show up no matter what. And if we think about the role that media plays in, in Web2 or just like IRL, like I'm a New York Times reader and I know that anytime I go to the New York Times, what I'm getting is a curated perspective on the world. That I'm like, I'm under no, I'm under no guise that I'm going there and I am reading like the most objective version of the world, right? And this kind of this idea of objectivity and journalism and objectivity in life might lead someone down the existential threat of what <laughs> is free will and do we actually have free will. But I think it's worth I think it's worth mentioning that anytime that we go and we're engaging with a piece of media or engaging with some news, you're participating in some form of curation. 
So my pitch is that we have an opportunity to kind of lean into that and to make it really apparent, right? So let's say C Club is one example. Like our whole thing is you come to C Club if you want to be in a network of builders and operators who are building with community first. And that's really apparent. So you know that anytime that you come here and you're engaging with a piece of media that we're outputting, that's going to be our POV. That's going to be our perspective. And we're not shy about that. And you might go to a different community, you might go to a different accelerator and their value proposition, their POV is going to be slightly different. And that's okay because you know that going in. So you know that when you're engaging with that media and that content, that's the POV that's being put out there. So my pitch is that we actually have an opportunity to kind of lean into that. And I think that the downstream effect is probably something close to like, some might argue that the continual like polarization of our society and that we're going to, we're all going to basically find ourselves in, in smaller and smaller echo chambers with the people that we find ourselves aligned with. Totally. And this idea that that's the only reason why we shouldn't engage in standing up these communities and creating a deep sense of alignment in them. I don't think that that's a strong enough argument to make against doing it. Because what are we all doing? We're all looking for belonging. And, you know, I think the role that media can play in a DAO to support that level of belonging feels really critical to me. And that, you know, the other thing to note, too, is just thinking about my own participation in the space that, like, I can go to a different community. I can go to Boys Club. I can go to Startup I can go to Dirt. And I can be different versions of myself or have different versions of myself seen and, and nourished in those different communities because I, I know what the POV is. I know what the narrative is and all of the media that they're going to output, whether that's a governance proposal, whether that's a podcast, whether it's a Twitter post, like I know that that's what I can expect when I go there. Mm. Yeah, it almost feels like the key here that you're pointing out is being more conscious and aware of the narratives that we're choosing to adopt, which I think feels really powerful. Like in the context of at least how I experience media today, I think that oftentimes, especially when we get into like the political polarization in America and that's happening sort of globally in, in some places, I think one of the things that's so interesting is like it almost rarely feels like people are choosing to adopt certain narratives in a weird way. Like I think your background, your parents' political beliefs, a lot of these things have a pretty big impact on what people believe and the narratives that they choose to see the world through. And so it does feel like there's this interesting opportunity to almost create an arm's length distance between us and the narratives that we adopt within our own, you know, brains. And that arm's length is really like choice, basically. I think there's something really interesting about all of that in the context of this idea of like a decentralized media pyramid where the more intentional we can be about the fact that certain people are curating certain narratives and certain people are creating the narratives and other people are distributing them. There's something about that intentionality to me that feels much better than blindly adopting narratives because our friends believe them or because that's what we were born into. I don't know. There's something interesting there. I totally agree. You know, it's both choice. And then I think that there's also this layer of consent and the agency that then is implied within that. So if we use Facebook as one example, the suspicious news or fake news stories or however you want to qualify those things of the propaganda, the algorithm is choosing those things for you. And it's true. It's based on this wild social graph that, you know, your your friends with, your 
family, your coworkers, the people that you actually have deep community with, your exes, you have this huge wide social graph and then and your algorithm is pulling from all these contributors that it's very opaque and you, we really don't have that much insight into how it's pulling it, right? But still these stories, these things show up in your feed and that has influence on you. And there is a lack of choice and a lack of consent within that. Of course, I have choice and consent to get on the platform, but that, that is like very minor. So if I'm just going to use Seed Club as an example, we're out here with our POV and our, and our narrative, right? This is what you get. This is what it means to be here. And so when you come into that community, you have an understanding and you have choice and you've, you've in some ways consented to, this is the media that's provided here. This is a story that we're telling. This is a narrative that we're going to push forward. And I think that's actually, to your point, I think that's a way to, to create a sense of greater abundance in our lives. That I can go to C-Club, I can go to Metropolis, I can go to MetaLabel, I can go to all of these communities and I have an understanding of what to expect, what POV is going to be shared with me. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of like at a very basic level, you're not going to see club, hopefully, if you don't believe in crypto, like period, you know, <laughs> like if you exactly. want to like shit on crypto all day and that's your vibe, cool. But like, let's not <laughs> like, there's no reason for you to go. And I do think like, to your point that you made earlier, there is an interesting angle to explore around like bubbles and potentially polarization. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't know, the other weird like dynamic here that feels powerful is like how much do we project our own like morality and identity onto these things and if we can create just a little bit of distance um I do kind of hope that like maybe that allows us to actually create a space that's a little bit less polarized in the sense that like just because someone doesn't agree with a specific belief of mine that that doesn't mean that I like can't be friends with them or you know whatever because ultimately, I don't see that as some moral wrongdoing. Obviously, there are lots of nuances to that. But yeah, there's something interesting there. Yeah, Balaji has this whole theory of the inevitable descent into American anarchism, which I don't disagree with. <laughs> I think Balaji is like very hyperbolic, but I don't disagree with his projection that we're all sort of you know, moving ourselves into these smaller and smaller echo chambers and like finding ourselves into greater polarization. So me having onboarded into crypto last fall, I have found myself collaborating and interacting with people who have a wider range of value sets than I was previously, both geographically, like just the amount of people that I'm interacting with in different countries, different time zones, different cultural experiences. And it's true that like the people that I'm choosing to collaborate with the closest at at C-Club, again, as an example, yeah, we have very deep, high values alignment on the things that matter the most. And also the people that I'm interacting with and collaborating with beyond that, like that next layer out, there's, we are, we're like varying places on the political spectrum. We're varying places on the racial and class and social and emotional life experiences. And so, yes, I think that there's one way to look at it is that we're finding ourselves in these smaller bubbles. And I also think that there's this like more abundant way to look at it, that you can like bubble hop in some ways. You can like hop over to this other DAO. You can hop over to Index Cube. You can hop over to Bankless and there's different vibes there. There's different people there. You know, like I think about my mom, um, you know, she's born in the Philippines and how that's a version of a bubble, you know, the people that she was in community with there. And then her like leaving the Philippines and coming to America in her mid twenties, that was a version of her escaping that bubble and escaping that echo chamber. And so are we more polarized today? Yes, I think on net, we can probably say that. And if we actually widen our scope and widen our view, are we really? The internet has democratized access to so many things. And in some ways, what that also has done 
is made it seem like this moment in time is is the most important, the most everything. And I think there's a real opportunity for us to zoom out and be like, oh yeah, like we're, what we're going through right now, this is just an iteration of a very natural curve of human evolution that many people, many generations ago have been in some version of, and we're just like in the next phase of it. Yeah. And hopefully if we can actually come to a realization like that, I think there's <laughs> a really interesting opportunity for media to better reflect some of those like core principles, which kind of as like we wrap up this is making me realize one of the cool things about decentralized media and the way that you've been thinking about this like pyramid is that I think we're at a moment where we've acknowledged how big of an impact media has had on us over the last 10 years in the way that we've been able to at scale target certain people, influence their views, all this stuff. And it feels like we are not, again, to be like dramatic about the exact moment in time that we're in, but <laughs> I do, it does feel like we're at a moment where we have the opportunity to acknowledge the role of media and also realize that like moving forward, we have the opportunity to use media in a way that serves us instead of allowing us to be sort of the thing that's influenced by media that a small group of people end up being in control of. Totally. And I think that idea of leaning into decentralized media as a way to democratize both participation and then, of course, creation, curation and, and distribution, that totally is what feels hella exciting to me about Web3, that like Web2 media, it's like everything is being bought up by holding companies and there's just there's the the ability to participate at all the levels is becoming it's becoming less and less available. And so in Web3, as we're exploring this design space, I really see a great opportunity for us to lean into the idea that, yeah, we are all, each of us, we're all individual storytellers, both of our own experiences and of the communities that we're a part of. And there's real beauty in that. And there's roles for all of us to play within that stack. And yeah, I think if we can lean into this idea that everything is story, everything is narrative, and that we can create a sense of consent and agency and choice around how we participate in those narratives is like, it's a beautiful thing. I feel like that's kind of the key to life. I'm not going to lie to you. Like realizing that you just never have an objective truth in the world and that your best bet is to adopt the narratives that feel most helpful to you. To me, that's like a form of, I don't know, self-actualization in a weird way. Oh, 100%. And also the acceptance that like we are constantly evolving. Our narratives are constantly Mm. evolving and that's okay. That means that you have, that you're curious and that you're learning and that you're changing. Yeah. I'm having an immutable record of that might be a little bit funky on the blockchain, but that's a conversation for a whole different day. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. We will have to have a whole other discussion on that. But Steph, this was so wonderful. Where can people find you on the internet, learn more about Seed Club, all the things? Totally. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at CryptoHoney. That's Crypto, H-U-N-3-Y. And then definitely give us a follow over at Seed Club. We've got some really dope things coming up for this fall. I'm I'm so excited to share. Uh, We're at Seed Club HQ. Yes. And we were just talking before we started about some of the curation that's been going on around the newest cohort of Seed Club projects. I was absolutely amazed at the quality of projects. And I cannot wait for this next cohort. I feel like it's going to be like absolutely phenomenal. So definitely worth yeah, following. We're, we're stoked. But yeah, thank Amazing. you so much, Chase, for having me on. This was, this was so fun. It's always fun to chat with you. I feel like I learn something every time. Same. And I'm so glad you came on. Thank you again. 
If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.